the, the number one conversation that I'm having with vendor representatives at the moment. And this is, this is I'm just going to lead it on vendors and, and I'm going to throw what, what Jay's been saying back to you, Scott, at a practical level because um, I, I speak to what used to be channel account managers and uh, I start to use the language of community manager, which is one of, one of Jay's predictions, and also the relevance of the chief revenue officer in relation to installed base selling. And in three conversations last week and this week, I said to the, 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 the equivalent of a, of, of a chief revenue officer, if your account managers walked around with on their, on their iPads or whatever they use, a instance of ISA.com, they will have a conversation every single time they talk to someone that's of relevance because it's about what they do, what they've sold, what they need to do, and how they can turn that the, the old transaction into a relevant technology transaction. Of course, you're going to agree with that, but tell me why. Well, I think, Nick, you have to go back a step. The problem with CROs, there's two types of CROs out there now. There's the CROs who are still reporting on the way Wall Street wants to report, which is we're only interested in net new sales, net new logos. It's all new, new, new. Then there's the CROs who've already shifted. Actually, there's three. There's the CROs who've shifted into the cloud model, which is, you know, you rent your customer for 30 days on consumption or subscription. And then there's the guys in the middle that are just starting to shift and starting to realize how much revenue is sitting in their existing customer base and how important customer retention is in the middle of a crisis because it's not until you have a crisis that people get off being fat and happy to, wow, we need to do something very, very quickly. And that's why I think to Jay's point, he's seeing the shifts happen faster. They're accelerating because people have to. They can't keep going the way they're going. Um, so, you know, my feedback for any CRO now is, yes, you need to still hit your net new number, but just as importantly, you need the customer retention piece. It's not customer success is good, which is more about adoption. I'm talking about actually going with, uh, with unsolicited proposals to the customer base to say, here's how we can make your tech work better than it does today for less cost or you gain more advantage, uh, competitive advantage out of it. That's, that's really what it's all about. I think it's critical for a lot of organizations to redefine their pipeline because a new, a, a, an unsolicited proposal that goes to a new customer based on the data you've already collected because you've automated your installed base selling uh, is a new proposal. And Absolutely. That, that should be net new. And the reason why is because it's contested. And if yep. it wasn't contested, it would be, it, it, would, it would be, yeah, okay, a, a, an automatic renewal and, and or something that happens you know, after the initial sale. And Jay, you talk about uh, emerging technology is here. <laughs> it's not emerging, it's here. And that's one of your key predictions. And that's my point. A lot of the unsolicited proposals that come from the existing data management that something like an iasset.com platform spits out for you would be an upgrade or a up the stack sell or a forklift upgrade in some instances or even more contemporary, moving from hard assets or on-premises to cloud, all right, that's a net new sale. Because emerging tech is here. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I love the example about the CRO. So Accenture went and asked their boss, the CEO, of every company in every industry in every country around the world. And 76% of CEOs today think that their current business model 
will be unrecognizable in five years. Right. Yeah. 76%. Yeah. Number one reason why is ecosystems. If they're going to convert to a yeah. subscription-based business, if they're going to build out a different model of benefiting or adding value to their client and driving outcomes, the way they go to market today, the way they've set up their entire sales and marketing and support structure has to change. And every company, the follow on to becoming a subscription company is you basically have to becoming a technology company on the back end to right. do that. You talked about forklifting. You know, I talked to the CEO of a forklift company who for years, for decades, have had a dealer channel of how they sell forklifts. But they just added an Internet of Things device, which is emerging tech, to each forklift. And now each forklift sends a thousand data points per second to the construction company, to the builder, to the architect, to the entire ecosystem there. And that CEO is worried not about the transaction of, you know, the dealers and the dealer training and the onboarding and nurturing. And, you know, that's always been a problem, but it's well understood. The problem now is one of those new 7,500 signups to Microsoft was a forklift manufacturer to AWS, to Google, yep. to IBM, to SAP, to Oracle. They are now part of the tech ecosystem. And all of a sudden, for the first time, they're looking at this Venn diagram of managed service providers and system integrators and all these other kinds of players and going, I'm going to look in the future more like Tesla, who happens to build cars on the side as a technology company. Yep. I'm going to look like a technology company who happens to build forklifts yep. on the side. How do you help a company like that? And it's not, again, about making their dealership network 10% better. It's about solving the influence it's about solving the retention. They don't even charge the same way for forklifts anymore. You don't buy them by the day or the mile or the job site. You buy them by outcome. Because all a forklift does, and I didn't think about this a lot in, you know, in the past, but <laughs> a forklift, all it does is lift stuff. So one of the things the Internet of Things device does is senses how much it lifts, where it is, the humidity, how far it goes. But if they can align to the customer and say, you need to lift stuff, we sell lifting as a service. We'll sell you by weight. And with these thousand data points per second, instead of selling you a bigger, better, faster, cheaper forklift, we're going to sell you a bigger, better, faster, cheaper building, which is your outcome. And, you know, at that point, you're going to stop asking me how big the tires are and, you know, what's the circumference of the steering wheel. Like, it goes just beyond that conversation. And that's where they need to get to to survive. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think Jay, you're missing, there's a 50% of the revenues missing there. There's the putting down as well as the lifting. So you could actually oh, double your revenue. Well, that, that's the upsell. Now that we've lifted there up. There you go. That's you expand sale. That's the expand sale. Look, that's um, cross what, what, Jay, what you're talking about, uh, we, could, we could do a, a, an entire show on that. And that is basically plant and equipment, put a sensor in it, and it's suddenly operations technology. So we've got the operations technology world and the information technology world coming together. Uh, we're talking about 10x that three trillion sale in the operations technology world as soon as you put sensors everywhere. And if you start giving it even more confusing or sexy names like industrial IoT, it's in the world of the IT uh, 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 channel. And the IT channel has to organize itself around that opportunity 
with so many assets or artifacts or whatever you want to call them out there that need to be identified, secured, and then monetized by doing, you know, very clever things like what you two have been talking about in terms of forklifts, for example. Um, impossible to do without automation. And I, Scott, the reason why I, I'm harping on it is because I know that iasset.com are building a whole go-to-market strategy around that to be able to support that. But um, the difficulty is finding IT vendors that actually get that they're in the OT market. By virtue of I think, well, I think there's a couple of things with OT. Obviously, um, California and United Kingdom legislation and US legislation is coming on IoT, which is you must, you know, secure the device because lots of people are buying little cameras and baby monitors and forklift uh, sensors and all that. And the, the, although it's a technology cell, they're not technologists. So they just put the device out there without, you know, the proper security. So the legislation will be unique username and password. Um, it must get security updates and the manufacturer is obligated to communicate to the end customer, whoever owns the IoT device, whether it's the forklift company or the user, that the updates will stop. And that's where we move into that space because someone has to look after that. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's the forklift company deploys a platform and ma manages all their operations techno operational technologies or one of the channels says to the forklift company, don't worry about it, we'll do it for you, and we'll do all the support and all the other bits and pieces, which is your retention uh, channel. Um, either way, there's still a big, big problem to solve. And the OT guys are, to an IT company are late adopters. They're just coming into this now. So they've got to be educated on all the things that IT inherently know or the channel knows and bring them up to date today. Jay, there's nothing about the channel that you don't know. Are you seeing that trend where the OT uh, opportunity is starting to be recognised by the IT channel or are they going to miss it? Tell me the truth. I think the channel, in, in many cases, the channel is in a better shape than some of the vendors. And, you know, I've had some pretty, you know, ugly conversations, you know, at IBM, for example, who is this build it and they will come. But mm. if you start looking at the future of technology, whether it's AI or automation or blockchain or internet of things or quantum computing. I mean, I could rip you through all 10 or 20 of the major emerging tech coming down the chain. And in most of those cases, IBM owns a lot of the IP, the patents. And in some cases like Watson, you know, owns the brand recognition around the future. Well, over on the channel side of things, it wasn't an ecosystem concept. Partner world up until a month or so back, was still built on a gold, silver, bronze reseller yeah. construct. And the future of IBM is an embedded technology, is a, a white labeled technology. It's part of the stack. When you build an ecosystem, there are three things that are important. Intra-firm value creation, which is one plus one equals three in front of the customer. It's network effect, which is basically taking advantage of each other's networks to get to a broader audience. And num number three is co-innovation. You know, there are 175,000 software companies today. 10 years ago, there was 10,000. 10 yeah. years from now, there's going to be 1 million software companies. Mm. That's co-innovation. There are 800,000 emerging tech companies. That's gonna double in the next 10 years. So the ability to embed the ability to be a part of a stack is a different concept 
than running a linear channel program. I'm gonna say that the people that have been running dealership networks or agents or resellers or all of these transactional-based programs of the past don't actually share in all the skills you need to build an ecosystem. You have to add alliance managers who know how to build those three elements. You need to build marketing skills around attribution. Because if there's not a direct transaction that you can measure, you have to attribute the level of influence or the level of retention and be able to put your dollars in the right place to drive more activity. So I'm not sure today that we have the right skill for those 76% of CEOs that think their business model will be unrecognizable. I'm not sure there's somebody they can put in the boardroom today that has a large enough vision from a people, process, program, and technology perspective to make that happen. Luckily, we're in the first or second inning of a long baseball game here, but yeah. whoever figures that out first is, is going to be a multi-billion dollar valued winner. Uh, Jay, it starts to talk to the super connector as well, and the, the person who could put all that together in a boardroom uh, knows all the missing, knows all the moving parts, but without the ability to transact all that together, you know, have a platform like ISF.com that allows for that is 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 not going to happen. And it talks to one of your um, your ecosystem points where um, you talk about um, automation. It needs to uh, everything needs to be automated, flexible, scalable, and it can't run on spreadsheets like it has been in the past but it still is <laughs> and um i'll give you uh, scott i'll, I'll give you an, an example of why i think the channel could miss out if it doesn't start listening to you know these kinds of conversations and movements you've got i had a conversation with uh, uh two uh, service providers one last week one this week and i'm meeting another one next week and i'm hoping that the one next week listens to this so that they don't blow it like the other two and that is um you're in the you're actually in the plant and equipment space and you don't know it because you've got a relationship with an organ like someone like four scout where you can find all those uh technologies out in the in, in there that don't have an ip address and you have a platform that you can manage it and go to those and sell the bit that is necessary to to turn it into an IT uh, artifact because that's what your customer wants. In other words, they want the sensor in the um, in the in the forklift, or they want the sensor in the truck, or they want the, the and, and they're doing it and they're buying it. But you're their service provider and you're ignoring it. And the response is, but that's not my business. So they're not the early adopters, but I think the early adopters are done. And what's going to come in is what I call traditional, dusty, you know, old school industrial technology companies that sell forklifts, suddenly realizing that they can become a service provider in that market. If the IT guys aren't doing it, but doing what Jay was talking about, without a platform, they can't do it. What are you seeing? What are you seeing in that side of the market? Because I know you're having lots of conversations, and that's why I'm putting you on the spot. You're having lots of conversations with these kinds of organisations. So um, my biggest challenge with the general, and we're talking reseller level uh, people, is some of them are still struggling just to move to cloud. 
quite frankly. They're still focused on selling big bits of tin or, you know, um, storage, networking, the normal sort of uh, run-of-the-mill stuff. And all of the resellers that have migrated, which there aren't that many, are already on that journey. But actually, it's the young guys, the guys like we were back 30 years ago that were first movers, that are cloud-savvy, have no legacy views on uh, infrastructure-type technology. They're actually eating their lunch. It's just the bigger guys haven't seen it in the reseller land anyway. So um, all of those guys that are still running on Excel spreadsheets, and you'd be amazed at how many large-scale resellers are still trying to manage install base on spreadsheets, they will get eaten up gradually. They just don't know it because the minnows, the younger guys that are coming in, are just eating up their lunch without them seeing it because it's such a small transaction rather than big wins, if you know what I mean. So, you know, I spend literally all of my day trying to explain to people why they need to automate that underlying process because the renewal, for instance, is not every year or three years, it's every month. And if you're not on it every month, it's a contested sale, you'll lose it very, very quickly. And if it's a Azure type consumption model, there's no reason why a end customer can't jump reseller to reseller to reseller because it's actually they're consuming Microsoft. The reseller's got to put their own value on top of that on a monthly basis. So customer retention and customer success is monthly now. It's not annual. It's not how did you go? You know, how about your renewal this year? It's got to be on there all the time. So the net new sales reps have to migrate into these uh, customer management type roles rather than just go and win the next deal, win the next deal, ring the bell, you know, the old school sales reps. So, Jay, what we're really talking about, I guess, um, is the, um, the disjoining between the, the customer experience, which is smart, the third, fourth, fifth generation, they're starting to understand what they want, and the partner experience, which is almost being untouched. Uh, you believe that they're coming together. I believe that there's not a lot of evidence of that. So I want to throw that back back to you to, to maybe maybe talk more about that. Yeah, I think they are coming together. And I've made a prediction, which I call the third stage. And, you know, today, back to the what we were just talking about, uh, we measure how many people use channel technology. And the answer is 50%. And this isn't a new technology. It's been around over three decades. So 50% of companies are still either using spreadsheets or manual processes. What's interesting for the 50% that have invested, only 17% of those are very satisfied. We are early in a game that's been around a long time. And this is what the three stages are. The first stage, which was 21 years ago, 1999, it happened in sales. So if you were interviewing for a job in 1999, you'd walk in and say, I manage with my gut. You got to be born to be a salesperson. Well, a year or two later, they would be asking about your CRM plans and how you manage a funnel and how MQLs work to SQL. So every piece of art that you had built in your career has now been converted to science. And as we went from 1999 to 2009, you couldn't get a job running sales without being a master of the technology and automation and sales had gone on this hockey stick in terms of uh, maturity. Well, in 2009, the same thing happened in marketing. Well, you go and interview for a job in 2009 and you'd walk in and say, 
you know, 50% of my advertising dollars are wasted. I just don't know which 50%. Ha ha ha. Everybody had a big laugh over it. You know, it's such a, a black art to, to marketing. Yeah. Well, marketing automation changed that equation. A few years later, you'd walk into a job interview. They would be asking you detailed level questions to the seventh decimal point about every one of your marketing channels, every one of your marketing vehicles, and asking about conversions at a level of science that you would have never dreamed about a couple of years before that. 10 years later, you know, coming into last year, marketing now is a pure science. So 75% of the world moves indirectly. Of the $86 trillion of world GDP, 75% of that goes through indirect channels in every industry. Well, guess what? We've just spent 20 years on direct sales and direct marketing. We just solved for the 25% of that problem. The 75%, which starts now, is I don't own the majority of those moments. You talked about the customer journey. Each of those moments, and the, by the way, the journey never ends. In a subscription business, you renew every 30 days forever. So when you overlay a partner journey to that, we still have channel chiefs sitting down for job interviews going, well, I, I'll you know, bring them to a nice location. We'll have a lot of drinks. We'll do a lot of Zoom meetings. You know, things will be great. Here's my strategy on marketing development funds. No, it's going to become a science. The interviewer has to ask questions to the seventh decimal point. They have to ask questions about this trifurcated channel. How are you going to implement and automate and scale this level of ecosystem that we're talking about now? Because you can't manage 250,000 partners on a spreadsheet. You can't onboard 7,500 new partners a month on a spreadsheet. So guess what? This now becomes the next 10 years is the third stage. And at the end of this next decade, you won't be able to find a job as a channel professional without being a scientist in terms of how you run every single little component of your program. Well, to your, to your point, Jay, the bigger part of that third stage is a lot of the, you know, channel chief comes in today, goes, right, well, here's my different colored programs or whatever they're going to roll out. They only roll it out considering North America. So the globalization, how does that work in Thailand, Vietnam, Australia, New Zealand, uh, France? So all of those, that global view with the science is really what you need to get to, which not a lot of the um, channel chiefs have. They think once we've sold it for North America, we just cookie cut that out to the rest of the world. Yeah. As a Canadian, that was always a challenge. And Absolutely. So, so, so both of you are talking about something that's dear, dear, dear to me at the moment, which is um, when I talk to a channel chief at the C-level in a vendor, I'm talking about there is no higher person than that person in that vendor as it relates to channel. They start to talk about programs like we're still in the 90s, which is the gold, silver, bronze and this and that. And they start to say, and guess what? You know, we're so awesome because we've got incentives now to give our partners. So if they if they go out and do, you know, customer experience selling or installed base selling or or reference architecture selling and things like that, we're gonna give them some money. And there's no vendor sponsorship of any of that. They might have a reference architecture, and that's about it. 
Um, you start to then talk to them about the huge opportunity. They go, yeah, 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 we get that, Nick. That's why we uh, are giving the incentives. And the, and the conversation is, yeah, but your channel chiefs are talking about partner programs based on the 90s. They're not talking about partner programs based on the execution. Like, and you talked about HPE and what they're doing now, like what Remy's doing over there with installed base selling and what they're trying to do. And it involves an ecosystem. They go, but, but we only care about ourselves. You know, the vendors go, but why should we, why should I promote another vendor's product? And I just want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> you know, what, 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 how quick is that change going to happen? Because it's, I agree with you, they're out of business and it's someone else is going to take over. And that someone else is a professional um, manager of, of multiple influences, just like the salesperson is a true sales professional and just like the the the, 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 the and every of the marketing person is actually a real marketeer not a glorified sales guy that's that's what's going to happen and i know that's for sure because that's what's happened in every other industry it's not like we we're we're we're, we're inventing the wheel here it is growing up when I look at education programs that are around to do that, they don't exist for IT. What's the answer? Yeah, so to answer this question, I went and got a prop. So the general conversation you have is this. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Average channel program we'll has- put a link to that. We'll put a link to that up in the show notes because that is so important uh, what you just showed. I printed it off in a poster format, but the average program has about 100 elements to it. You know, you have to plan and build out your strategy. You have to recruit. You have to onboard and educate and train. You have to incent and motivate and drive loyalty. You have to, you know, drive engagement, enablement, co-selling, co-marketing. After you've done all that, you have to manage and measure and report on all that. Underneath all those, there's 100 things. The channel chief today anchors every one of those 100 things on the transaction. So here's the front end margin, here's the back end margin. I'm gonna run marketing through an MDF, which is 1% of overall sales. I'm gonna run volume rebase. Everything in there, even your education and training and certification, anchors on a transaction. The interesting thing is when you open up and talk about these 80% of new partners that are non-transacting, you still have to do all 100 of those things. You have to recruit them and onboard them and educate them and train them and incent them and motivate. It might be non-monetary, but you still have to do it. You have to engage them and enable them, sales enable, co-sell, co-market. All of that stuff needs to be done. It yeah. might be done on attribution. It might be done on different influence and referral and other things. But the point of the matter is the partner journey is identical, whether it's a transacting partner or non-transacting partner. The program elements are identical if it's a transacting partner or a non-transacting partner. The difference is the money. One costs you capital dollars, and one is underneath revenue reduction. Yep. The CFO cares a lot if you're going to start investing in non-transactional partners mm -hmm. because it has a lot of exposure on the balance sheet, and it fundamentally changed. Remember the business model? It fundamentally changes how do you go to market mm -hmm. and how you appear. If you're a public company, you know, this becomes a board-level conversation. If you're a private company, you know, you have to bring in your investors, your venture capitalists, your private equity, and everybody part of this conversation because you can't do this without cutting a check. And the other thing is you're not going to spend more money on your channel, regardless of how it's made up. So you're going to, and I was on for a couple hours with a distributor this morning, 
And you're going to have to take money out of your transaction channel and spread it a bit like peanut butter to fund this. Because nobody's coming in with a bigger check or more people or more resources to go do this. The fact is, is your ecosystem is, has to run in the same financial elements that your transactional program runs today. And there's going to be some winners and losers when that happens.